Uh, hey friends, this is CJ Boyd. We are, where are we? We're at Five, Five Points, Points. Uh, in Seattle. We're at a little diner bar situation. Uh, I'm here with Amnesia, and we just played a show over at Teatro de Psicomachia, and I'm here to ask Amnesia about her worst show. <laughs> so, I've played a lot of shitty shows. Um, it's really hard to choose. I feel like, you know, I want to tell all of the stories about, like, um, dealing with, like, really bullshit sexism, or, like, when the sound person is a fucking dick and, like, everything's electrocuting you and you're, like, (laughs) trying to say something and they're, like, super defensive because... Sound people generally are very defensive. Yeah, I feel or like sound dudes are sound dudes. Very. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's good to be inclusive generally to say sound <laughs> person instead of sound guy. But sound guys, not all sound guys, <laughs> as they say. But it's a certain kind of breed. There's something about certain sound guys that that is like just the, a pinnacle of dickness yeah and, and I I have some theories about it but I don't want to um, I don't want to get into that yeah well, I wanna yeah no I mean I recently so I recently had a show in Portland like a couple weeks ago and I had just driven across the country with all of my stuff to move to Seattle from Chicago right and the next morning woke up and drove all the way to Portland to play this show that I got you know not like pushed into playing but it was my friend's birthday and I like felt like I had to and I got there I set up all my gear and was completely just like ragged and my fucking mic starts shocking me over and over again where was this at? This was at Blackwater in Portland. Okay, I don't know that spot. Uh, it's like a little vegan bar, and it's like one of the only uh, like above-ground venues where you can have an all-ages show. Okay. And there's like a bar and like an awesome. all-ages space. It's pretty cool. Um, but this, it's funny because I played there one other time, and my gear was shocking me, and like all went out at once. But it was like after a really great set, so it was a really good show. Okay. And I just was like, cool, whatever. It was like on my birthday. You played the whole set and you were fine. And then at the end. Yeah, it was like almost a magical moment of like, because oftentimes I'll have technical issues and they just make my set better. Okay. You know, like, it's like, cool, this is an obstacle I have to like climb through or like maneuver and it just makes me hyper creative about it, I guess. Okay. Cool. Or it's like a good like that's the end. You're done. Get <laughs> right. the fuck off the stage, <laughs> bitch! Like it's been an done. hour. Like yeah. <laughs> bye. Yeah. Um, but this one, it was it was just like so. It kept like shorting and shorting and shorting my gear, and I would like build something for like 30 seconds, and it would short again and shock me. I finally was just like, I'm done. I like this is dangerous. People Wait, die so this when you way. Say shorting was it? Um, like, would you have, like, a loop going, and then it would just cut, it would, like, turn the pedal off and then turn it back on? Yeah. Okay, Like, okay. everything would turn off and not okay. back on again. So you lost whatever you were just building right. up. Right. And everyone else was having electrical issues that night, but everyone else had amps. Right. So I was going through the PA, so I okay. was just, like, at the fucking whim of the PA system, right. and, like, right. that was all I had. I didn't have, like, any backup sound source or anything. 
telling this guy what's going on. He's just like, well, it looks to me like it's your gear. And I'm like, I've just tested everything this morning. I've been a fucking musician for like 15 years. Like, I know what's up. I'm not like, of course, invincible or anything. But... And then at the end of the night, it's like everyone else had had all of these electrical issues. And I just went up to him and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know because this is a liability. Like, if everyone's getting shocked on your stage, like, someone could get really severely injured or, like, killed. Like, that does happen. And, like, you know, like, you should know this. And he was just like, are you saying that there's something wrong with my wiring? (laughs) I was just like dude come the fuck out he's like i wired this whole stage and like oh. blah 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 i was just like that doesn't actually well, it, mean anything like i don't care who wired it well in a way happening. like i feel like that because i would be like yeah i guess it's your fault then i mean if you were just the sound guy and, yeah. and you were just at the helm and it was something you couldn't control i'd be like oh it's not your <laughs> fault you know it's probably just bad wiring right but if you fucking <laughs> like it, you didn't then, have to tell me that you did the wiring you actually just put that on you yeah so yeah probably this is your fault <laughs> you're taking this real personally buddy i mean i also don't know a lot about on the technical side of it like I don't know what a sound guy could do to cause or to stop yeah. being shocked. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there may be something, but I have no idea. It's, but that would make me think, yeah, it's the whoever yeah. the wiring. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things where they probably need to like invest in a power conditioner. There's okay. probably bad wiring in the whole place, you know? Right. like. It's like, I'm sure, honestly, it's probably not his fault. I bet he did everything right, but, like, it's an old-ass building that doesn't have proper grounding or whatever, you know, like... But it's just frustrating, especially, like, when I'm perceived as this tiny, like, girlish human, and I'm like, I've actually been an audio engineer for, like, 12 years, and I'm not judging you, I'm just trying to convey information, and, like, you're so defensive that... You can't even acknowledge my opinion or that I might even know a little bit and had about you, something. And you had played first? Uh, I was in the middle somewhere. Okay. Yeah. But, like, when you played, you were the first to have electrical, as far as you knew. The other people had electrical issues, too. They just, like, unplugged from the PA and plugged into their amps. Okay. But I didn't get to play at all, which that's, like, that's really like, the worst show ever. Like, yeah. That's terrible. Every other show I'm going to tell you about, the set was great, but the other things were wrong, you know? So at some point, you just kept getting shocked, and you were like, okay, fuck it, this yeah. is not, I'm not going to die over this set. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. Shit. There's another show I had recently where someone cut me off seven minutes into my set. We were, like, supposed to all collaborate, and I, like, came in with the person before me, and then, like, started slowly building something. Someone came in and, like, cut me off, like, seven minutes in. And that was the next show I played after that show. And I was okay. just like, am I just not allowed to play music anymore? Like, what the fuck? Wait, but you mean <laughs> cut you off, like, turned your shit off? No, like, came in, like, so we were, like, all collaborating in these trios. Yeah. So it was, like, my fave Pink Floyd opened the night, and then I came in in the middle, and then this person um, from Colorado, this white dude from Colorado, okay. came in over my set. And uh, we were going to, like, weave into each other and do, like, two groups of three. So, like, After Us was another group of three, which was, like, really dope. It was, like, Rectrix and House Red from Rhode Island. And then Cole Galbraith, like, closed that group off. And that was dope. 
Pink Void was dope. I like just give me some context. How long did Pink Void play? Like twenty minutes. Right. And then I came in and collaborated with her for like ten minutes. Right. And then I started playing alone. And then dude came in with his very very loud guitar and loud screamy voice, basically Seven. solo metal music, <laughs> and like started you, screaming over my stuff after like five. So my question is, do you feel like he was just oblivious, or do you think he was like, fuck this, I'm gonna do something over it? Like, like, do you think he was like trying to be, like, collaborate with you and not doing a good job of that, or do you think he was just like, nope, you're done, my turn? I think the uh, maybe a mix of the two. Okay. Like maybe he thought that because I wasn't playing something traditional that that I was struggling or something. This is where I'm trying to put the, like, benefit of the doubt into the situation. Like, maybe he thought that he was rescuing me from a, from a, like, a a sound loop. she's accidentally playing, like, ambient music. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do? Oh, I got just the thing for this. (laughs) That makes me think of, there's... I mean, talking about terrible sound guys, it made me think there was this place in Nashville. Uh, it's still there. It's called the End. And um, there's a sound guy named Brad. And Brad's a fucking asshole. And, and the thing is, it was like for Nashville, it was a pretty ideal venue. It was like if you're trying to be like a little bit legit, it was like small enough that you could do that without being a huge band. Like, and if, it's mostly I only played there when I had bands that I was friends with coming to town that I wanted to give like a legit show in Nashville and the house scene sucks in Nashville there's a couple places now but when I lived there I didn't know any house venues yeah. so in Murfreesboro it's amazing but in Nashville it's shitty but this guy I was playing you know and I was doing quite what I do now, but it was comparable, like, sort of more like ambient stuff. He, he starts putting delay on my on my stuff. Like, not, he didn't ask me. He didn't, he didn't consult me in any way. It was just like, I start hearing things that I'm playing suddenly have delay. And I'm like, that's kind of a, that's definitely outside of your jurisdiction as a sound yeah. person. Like, maybe reverb. I mean, that's something you would sort of establish, hopefully, during a sound check. Maybe. But I could see maybe a sound person right. saying like, oh, this could use a little reverb. But not delay. Not like there's a whole bunch of stuff happening now that you didn't want to be there, but just is now. Yeah. Especially I'm playing with a loop pedal. It's like, I I could do that <laughs> if I wanted to. And I You're like, I have pedals here. Like, did yeah. you not see them? Like... Yeah, Did you I think mean, that I needed time, a creative only, collaborator? Exactly. This is the last guy I would collaborate with. Oh, jeez. Um, he was just... I mean, he... That wasn't... That was probably the worst of it, but I... He also was just like, in between songs, he'd be like, Alright, nothing but the hits. Come on, bring the hits. He's like, dude, I don't have hits. I'm <laughs> experimental solo bassist. Uh, I, I know you're like kind of being, kind of joking, kind of trying to be funny, but <laughs> it's kind of annoying. Like, just let me do my set. Yeah. Um, For real. So wait, you were, but you were talking about, oh, this Those guy two, cut you off this, seven minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then he played a set that was like, I mean, I don't like talking shit about other musicians. 
but his set was like as if he wanted to play in a metal band but just couldn't find people to play with so like started playing solo and he played for 45 minutes holy shit yeah. Wow. So On a that... six-band bill. <laughs> like, okay. So that's impressive. I feel like I was still trying to think if there was any benefit of the doubt that I could give the dude for, like, cutting you off seven minutes in, where I was like, oh, well, maybe he thought, like, we're all doing shorter sets because there's so many people. Nope. But, yeah. Uh, He's like, well, seven minutes is probably good for you. Forty-five for me. <laughs> pretty good. Like, I'm bored with this. Like, I'm gonna come in and play my solo metal. I mean, it was a really great show, though. So, yeah. it was, like, Not so the many friends show there. Ever. Yeah. Um, also, like, getting to see like a couple of like Rhode Island like noise royalty acts play and okay. like collaborate with Pink Floyd. Yeah. One of my faves. Cool. It was great. So that was cool. I met some really good shows recently too. Like, okay. well, don't want to sound talk, like a Debbie Downer. We don't talk about good shows on this show. <laughs> it's about the negative. We try to just be negative. Yeah. As much as possible. Okay. Also, we were talking earlier about sort of call out culture. Right. I understand the critique of call out culture. I'm still kind of into it personally. I feel like totally. there's a place for like. Especially, I feel like this last year, the whole Me Too thing, um, I just saw, I saw a lot of guys suddenly like go, holy shit, I can't get away with that shit anymore. Like people that were not necessarily like full on rapists or anything, but dudes that were just shitty in some like more subtle ways. Yeah. Get, realize like, I mean, hopefully you just don't act shitty because, right. don't act shitty, but if you're not gonna do that then I'm I'm cool with there being some fear a little bit of fear of like oh this would really ruin my reputation if people knew that I like Facebook stalked this girl and won't leave her alone or like that I you know yeah that's that's one of the ones I'm thinking of just I think that, like, the critiques of call-out culture, like, some of them are valid because some of them are, like, when people get really self-righteous and start, like, really projecting their insecurities on everything someone says or whatever without, like, giving them a chance for, like, social learning when they haven't really done much wrong. So I guess, like, there's that. But when it comes to things like someone's being, like, dangerous or exhibiting, like creepy behavior that could be stocky or like weird or could spiral into something dangerous or like um or just general like you know if we're like venting about general like social shittiness for one thing letting people know like who's doing what uh like in public really protects like like if you were offered a show with this guy you refusing that show is protecting the people who are interested in your music from having to interact with this person yeah right and like their their safety is a part of like your your shows and and how you book things Um, I think think that's right, but also I feel like, and it's a complicated relationship when you like really love somebody's music, but I feel like I've been on the other side of this where when, when somebody, when you love somebody's music, in some ways you feel like they get you. And they represent you in some way. And I mean, not in a, not in like a full way, but I feel like 
when I when I'm really in love with someone's music, I sometimes put them on a little bit of a pedestal. Sometimes, I mean, I think oh, yeah. I'm kind of jaded now. It's <laughs> like well in my 30s, you know. But but I think especially as a younger fella, I tended to do that. And then when you find out that somebody who you think like has like touched you in some deep way like doesn't give a fuck about your own safety or your own well-being that's a really shitty feeling you know and I feel like I'm obviously I operate at a very small level in terms of like fans or like people that really love my music I don't I don't have like some massive network of fans but even for a small group I want to say like the least that I could do is be like, hey, I give a fuck about your well-being on a fundamental level. Yeah. And and I feel like, especially dudes, you know, if you if you're making this music that might touch people from all walks of life, and then you are saying with your actions, I don't care about women, then like, fuck that. <laughs> like, then you're sort of just asking to not have women fans yeah. and or, or listeners. You know, you know, there's fans also- is a strong word I just mean audience you know yeah I also think a lot about all of the barriers that there are like for marginalized folks like whether like women or like people of color queer folks or like trans folks like there's so many barriers there to getting on a stage and performing like from just like insecurity from being shit on your whole life to like not having the economic means to do that or not having the like the resting space because you're in such a state of survivalism if you're like being traumatized all the time and it's just like it's such a fucking privilege to get on a stage and be seen and heard and maybe it's time to like make our sort of uh, standard a little yeah, bit higher absolutely. like you know of like right. if you're gonna get on a fucking stage especially if you're like a cis white dude who's hetero and has a right. fucking job and an education and yeah. came from a middle class family or whatever like doesn't have a bunch of mental health like it's like if your shit isn't like incredible I'm not really interested you know like <laughs> right. just yeah. like eh. okay so <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day I was touring with my friend Nelly and she was talking to this guy about about, they were talking about gear, and she she was saying how she uses like drum machines, she uses a bunch of stuff, but she's got like pedals, drum machines, different things, some samplers, stuff like that. Um, and I think they were talking about using laptops, and she was saying, yeah, one reason I don't use a laptop is because I feel like... And then absolutely anything is possible. And so then in a way, like, you, it better, like, whatever you're doing better be amazing because why, why this? Like, if you're, if you're using a laptop, you can do anything. And in a way, that's so infinite that it's almost, like, daunting of, like, yeah. what are you actually going to do? And I was thinking about it right after she said that. I was like, it's kind of how I feel about, like, cis white dudes that like okay if you're given every fucking advantage like 
like you were saying, like it's it's such. A, I mean, you're saying it's a privilege, but also it's really not that big a deal if you haven't been shit on yeah. in a million ways to just get up, you know, and not 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 everybody. But I'm just saying, you think about how many um, just straight cis white dudes who are like like all the qualifications that you were saying. Because I mean, there's all different things that can be barriers. But if you have none of those barriers. And you just want to be in a punk band, or want to be in a metal band, or want right. to be a singer-songwriter, or whatever. And you can just do that, and it's no big deal. Right. Then I, as an audience member, feel like, well, you better fucking bring it. You yeah. better do something. Like, there's a million bands out already. What are you going to do that's going to be worth everybody's time? Whereas I feel like there's other folks where sometimes, you know, I, I was just thinking I saw... Goyabas? Goya- uh, yeah, Goyaba. Yeah, Goyaba. She's incredible. Dude, she's so good. Mm. Um, but, like, I saw her tree for it in Boise a couple weeks ago. And just from what she was saying, it sounded like she had recently kind of... She'd, she'd done a lot of, like, trip-hop and was doing more, like, more hip-hop mm-hmm. recently. And she didn't... I think they gave her an hour... Set and she didn't actually have an hour through the material yet, and so it was like super charming. Like it, it totally came off as like this is super cute. Like okay, you're kind of new to this, so you don't have a whole set yet. But while she was up there, she killed it. It was so good, and being like a little bit unprepared. It still like, felt like, yeah, like you're new to this, and like the, you're just fucking up there killing it. Yeah. Dude, if you were up there for a half hour, we'd be stoked. Like right. whatever you can do, awesome. And I felt like the the crowd was super like just very forgiving of any little mistake or anything because it was like, dude, you are you are bringing it. And to be up there and like rapping about being an overweight queer black woman. And, and like right. doing it really well mm-hmm. like not just like oh shout out because you said some cool shit but like you said some cool shit and yeah. really did it well there was just this like okay this is awesome she's got tons of barriers and mm-hmm. she's overcoming them and that's part to me like that ends up being yeah. whether you need it to or not that is part of the performance of like totally what did you do to get here did you just yes. get handed a guitar and made no effort because mm-hmm. that's just what you do or did you have right. to like kind of fight for it mm-hmm. yeah. and if you didn't have to fight for it doesn't mean you shouldn't play music no. but you should definitely be aware but just really in what other yeah, situation like, would we not take that into account like yeah. where if you are like a millionaire your taxes are higher and they should be <laughs> You know, like, mm-hmm. like it's, you shouldn't have to pay the same taxes as somebody who's, exactly. like, living in their car. That's fair. You know, you still get to do your thing, but you owe us a little more. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say. Huh. Pay up. Pay up. Pay Reparations. Up. Pay up. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Shit, do you want to call it there? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for being a part of this thing. Thank you. Okay, so we said we said we were done, but we're not done. We're still at Five Points Diner. I'm here, Amnesia. 
we pressed stop and then we kept talking and then I was like, damn it, I want I want these stories. <laughs> um, but what do you feel like? Do you want to tell now? And in general, I try to not hear the story before because I don't want to have to like fake my reaction. But the story that you just told, I really, I won't fake my reaction. But if you want to tell it. Okay. All I would right. love to. I'd love to share it with my, my Let's listeners. Let's see what I here. can do here. Okay. Sorry um, to have you tell the same story twice in a row. <laughs> this isn't even the best story. Okay. Um. So, I was living at the Inn, which is right. like up on the top of Capitol Hill. Rest in peace. Um, right. Which we just. I didn't realize that that's that I knew you from that. I couldn't remember where we met, but uh, yeah. Daniel Sansoni, who I know from. Indianapolis. Yeah. Moved out here years ago and was booking shows there, and I mm-hmm. played there a couple times. I met Whitney Lyman there. Oh yeah, uh, great. Um, okay, so but so you were living there. Yeah, I was living there. I was a very young and fresh twenty fun year old, um, <laughs> getting into the practice of throwing art and music shows. Yeah. And um, I was mostly doing like spoken word at the time, so I didn't really like play music much, but I was I would curate art shows a lot and like have bands play. And the very first show I ever booked there, um, we had some friends of ours who like had their very first show on our porch, like in the summer or whatever. I I like curated a bunch of like solo artists to play in the living room, and one of them was like the songwriter from that band. Um, and uh, one of the bands was on tour. There was like a full band that played, and then like a couple of solo acts in the living room, and like people in the basement, and then art everywhere. It was like okay. you know, it's a three-story house. It was huge. It was like yeah. an old school, right? It used to be. Uh, first, it was like a German old folks' home, oh, and then it turned into in like the '80s or '90s into like a mental health facility okay. for like folks who were like a threat to society. Okay. And then funding got pulled from that, and this really shitty slumlord bought the building in the early 2000s, okay. mid 2000s. So it was uh, not Pete a school. Zykov. It was never a school. No, it was never I a school. I think that's what Daniel told me, but I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> but okay. lots of ghosts in that building. So it was a big place. Yeah. And you had stuff going on everywhere. Yeah, it was like huge. And um, I think someone was sleeping in my room, so I slept on the couch down in the living room, like under a bunch of blankets, and probably not the safest idea I've ever had, but I thought everyone was gone. But apparently some folks were still like hanging out in the basement, and I woke up, like, first this dude was like on top of me trying to cuddle me, and I like elbowed him in the face and was like, no, like get the fuck off of me, bye. And then he, like, was so wasted, he just, like, got up and walked in a circle and took his pants off and started peeing on me. <laughs> now, I said I wasn't going to make my reaction, but I even hearing it the second time, I'm still like, what in the fuck is wrong with people? And then I, like, I got him to stop peeing on me, and he turned around and pissed on our floor for, like, a solid, like... <laughs> 10 minutes like it was like that Austin Powers scene where it's like you know like oh, ejection little, complete little uh, 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 ej- ejection com- no never mind you know right. <laughs> he just like oh keeps God. going Bad. Now I just remembered <laughs> one of the times that I played there, I was with a band and we slept on the couches, which was a terrible idea. 
Because uh, it was also like a Friday or Saturday night, and the whole night people would still come in drunk and, just, and give zero fucks that there were people sleeping in the couch, <laughs> on the couch and either just be talking like oblivious or talking directly about us or to us. We had, there was like, I remember some dude just being like, What's up? Like right in my face. Oh and I was like, I'm clearly trying to sleep, is what's up. Why yeah. would you. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I would never subject anyone to that. So if ever I had like a touring band in town, I always just took the couch myself. Okay. Or like, that's no of you. David Daniel did not do that for us. No. There were like four of us, and I, I'm trying to remember <laughs> how that even worked. I know I was like cuddled up with somebody on one of the couches, yeah. and then I can't remember if the other two people were also cuddled on the other couch or if somebody was on the floor. We had like four couches, okay. so, so yeah, and like sometimes they would move around. I mean, that place was such a clusterfuck, like yeah. everything moved around constantly. And Daniel actually got into a lot of trouble for hosting so many shows there because, <laughs> like, that, yeah. we would, like... I mean, there were a lot of just randos sleeping on our living room floor all the time, which is probably why people were so abrasive because they were just like, fuck, there's another fucking band in the right. fucking living room. Great. Yeah. That's rough. I mean, on the one hand, as yeah. the band, you feel like... Dude, we don't have another place to sleep. Can we just sleep? Right. But it's, I get also that's probably a bad um, formula where to have like so many people living in a place. It's unlikely that all of them will be stoked on hosting shows. And yeah. so you then get that conflict of like, well, I'm hosting shows and some of my housemates are into that and some of them don't give a fuck. Some of them <laughs> wish I would not do that. Yep. Um, which sounds like what happened. Yeah, definitely. Well, oh wait, and so then... Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask because we were talking earlier about um, you also do sex work. And I didn't know... In fact, I asked this earlier and I was trying to not sound like an ignoramus. But I was like, okay, I am an ignoramus, so I just used to ask. But uh, you were saying that you go on tours... Then you do touring for that. Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, I'm I'm curious what that means or like. Do you mind saying a little bit sure, about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I like just caught on to this lingo like this last couple of years. Okay. Um, where like I started hanging out with a friend who is also a sex worker, and she kept using that language of like, oh, I'm gonna go tour New York, or I'm gonna go tour Chicago, or I'm gonna go tour. Here, like da da da, and I'd be like, touring what? Like, are you doing art shows? Like, yeah. photography shows or something? You know? And she'd right. be like, Oh no no no! Like, I'm I'm doing work. Like, gonna put an ad up and tour there. And I was like, Okay, that doesn't so make that, any sense. <laughs> you well, know? that makes like, sense to you're me. You're not playing it, music. But are you? Is it usually going to like one place? Or is it usually mean going to many places? I think it depends. I think there's a lot of people who will do it the same way as, like, we would book a a music tour. They'll be like, I'm going to go to this city this night, this city this night, this city this night, this city this night. And they'll spend, like, a day to three days in different places, especially on the East Coast. I never, that had never occurred to me. And now, ideally, you put the ads up all before... Right, yeah. And I mean, then you, like, book your appointments and hopefully right. deposit. Right, and you're like, cool, I will be there on the 27th. Like, it obviously doesn't work for somebody who's trying to, like, yeah. hang out right now. 
it's definitely a lingo that I've caught on to as I've like become more privileged as a sex worker like okay. I used to do a lot of work that was like not what you would call like quote high end I guess okay. and sure. it's it's like lingo of higher end sex workers who like can like pre-book their tour and afford right. to book flights and book hotels and everything and right. pay for advertising and then like get pre-bookings right. along the way okay and I kind of do it but like I've just always toured like my music this way where I'll right. like spend like three to five days somewhere play one or two shows throw an ad up and make some money and then go to the next place and like yeah. that's how I've been able to fund my music career really okay is like through like doing that yeah um and i i've always been like oh yeah i'm going on a tour and i'm gonna work along the way but now i'm like oh i'm just going on a, a double tour i guess right cool yeah <laughs> that's awesome it's so fun. okay so do you have a worst show ever from from that from that period of uh i don't but i want to tell a really great story okay um there is a show out here in Seattle that is called Squall. Okay. It's booked by Abe, uh, who plays as Prison Food. I think he's Abe done Moses? with it now. Yeah, Abe Moses. Oh, I remember Abe. Yeah, he's Some great. shows from a years ago, yeah. Yeah. I think he's like on hiatus again, but I'm sure he'll yeah, come back again eventually. Yeah, I think he stopped booking for a while, I think, from what I remember. But yeah. yeah. Okay, they so like, Squall is the name of the... It's like a festival or like an event? It's or? like a reoccurring show that would happen monthly at Kremwerk. Okay. Um, and it was like basically... So I'm going to premise this like... I don't even talk to most of my family. They okay. never come to my shows. Like, right. it's like not a thing that I, mean, I ever they, would expect. Are they local? Do they live here? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I don't remember if you grew up here or if you're from here originally. Right? Yeah, I grew okay. up like all over, but my family's here. Like okay. my immediate family's here. Right. Um, my grandmother though, she's like a little bit more interested in the arts, and okay. like she's come out to like some bigger art showings that I've done, or like like things that I've booked out here. Um, and I had moved to Chicago and I came back and I played a squall. Okay. And my grandmother like insisted on going. Okay. And okay, so so squall is piggybacked like right up against uh, their night called Sin, which is their kink and fetish night. Okay. And it was like right after weed was legalized, so people were like smoking weed inside, okay. like having a great time. My grandmother like walks in the door. Someone's like setting up a fucking sex pew. Um, a sex pew? Yeah, like a or a, not a sex pew, but one of the crosses that you can hang from. And oh, there okay. was probably a sex pew somewhere. I don't know. It was I don't know what a sex pew is. A I sex, mean, it's like a like a church pew. It's a church pew, but with, like, leather padding, so that it's fun to fuck on, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. It's cute. It's, for, it's great for, like, you know, religious play, I guess. Okay. I was trying to think. I was like, <laughs> a pew is not, would not be in my, like, top five things to fuck on, but... Some people like it. Definitely. You know? Some people, there's a thing for everyone. Thing. That's great. Um... And uh, so my grandma walks in. She's with my grandfather, like her husband, who's not actually my grandfather, but okay. um, he's just like 
staring at the walls the whole time, <laughs> chugging beers. Like, they got so drunk, I think, that they, I had to call them an Uber home and drive their car back to their place and then, like, get myself <laughs> an Uber back. Um, okay. And this, this artist called Interracial Sex played right before me. Okay. Like stripped down naked with like a fucking like dog mask on with a zipper on it wearing women's panties and like screaming at the top of his lungs playing like gnarly industrial noise like while someone was like whipping this other person in the pew my grandparents I don't fucking they like stuck it out they chilled the whole time like my grandmother was just like this is just what it this is what it is to come to one of your shows like this is what you do whatever like cool no judgment um my grandma's really cool she's actually like probably the only person in my family who's like super accepting of the fact that i'm a sex worker and then i played my set and i played like an incredibly i mean it was like I was like, do I change this because my grandparents are here? I mean, they're sticking around. I warned them. I told them that this was right. going to be weird. Like, yeah. they're here. Like, whatever. Like, you know. Um, and I did a set where I, like, did a piece of poetry that was, like, entirely about, like, sex with clients. Okay. <laughs> and, like, so you didn't, you decided not to yeah. pull any punches to just do what I you're going to do? I was like, I'm just going to do it. And it was, like, my first show back in, like, a year, and, like, a bunch of people were there. So I was like, I got to play, I got to play this set, you know, yeah. like, whatever. And um, I, like, writhed around and shit. I don't know. My grandmother was in tears. She was so moved. Oh, wow. She fucking loved it. Oh, She was great. just like, this okay. is incredible. My grandfather won't look me in the eye anymore, like, five years later. Like, won't look me in the eye at all. <laughs> wow. But my grandmother, I don't know, that bitch. She's a good one. That's rad. I'm very lucky. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's not really the worst show ever, but... No, no, no. I mean... Yeah, it's loose. We can we can get it. All I was definitely stories. like sweating balls the whole fucking time. Like it was like, oh like my god. Worried, like what is my grandma thinking right now? Like, yeah. Or like they're gonna disown. They're like videotaping this as evidence so they can like legally disown me or something. I don't know. So it made me think of. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. Or I'm trying to think even if the show that I played at the end was with. I used to be in a band called Curve Choir. Well, I'm still at mm-hmm. Curve Choir. It used to be the CJ Boyd Sextet when it first started. Yeah. And there was a period where we would sometimes perform nude. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of shows that it went strangely because of that. Like, there were a few things that happened. But when you were talking about that, it just made me remember... I don't remember what town we were in. It might have been Portland? I can't remember, but... Um, touring with and we were it was a new thing like when the band first started it was just like that wasn't part of it at all and then my girlfriend at the time the two of us were both reading tons of Freud and like thinking a lot about sex and, and art and like what art does in terms of sublimation Yeah. and so we kind of just like decided to make this project about exploring the relationships between sex and music and vulnerability and it became a lot of things but it was very much an experiment like trying to like think about some things in a public space and most of the people in the band initially were like yeah that's cool I don't want to do that um 
good luck with that, but <laughs> I'm not interested in that so much. So then the group kind of reformed with like me and Sarah, and then we had two other cellists, Sarah played cello, and then two other cellists joined for this tour. Um, and so it was the four of us. And this was like 2006. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first tour we did. And up to that point, we had just, we had played like a, one show in Murfreesboro where like some of us were naked. And it was like a weird show. Um, but anyway, on that tour, we were having a pretty great time. Mm-hmm. And then I think we were in Portland, but I can't remember for sure. Uh, Bindi, the other one of the other cellists, uh, realizes that her uncle is going to come oh, to the shit. show, and and it's like she was talking to her mom or talking to somebody, and they're like, yeah, like Uncle Ronnie's going to be at your show, and she's like, oh sweet, oh that's great, yeah that's super, that's uh that's lovely, and then she checks in with us and is like, hey you guys, and the thing is. It wasn't like a rule. We didn't always play nude. Uh-huh. Like we generally would play nude in a place that would let us. Uh-huh. But it was still contingent upon like everybody Everyone's being into consent. it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so whatever wherever it was going to be was one where we definitely had thought we were going to play nude like given uh-huh. this I can't remember the space but it was like going to be somewhere that was like very we'd go over well we thought or whatever yeah so we had already kind of talked about it and then she brought she's like hey uh so (laughs) my uncle's gonna be at this show uh I don't want to be naked in front of my uncle really since I'm not a baby anymore (laughs) and um we're like yeah okay that's legit you know so yeah we just won't do it naked like that's fine um, and then now I'm forgetting some of the details, but I it ended up being a way bigger deal where in the process of talking to her mom or whoever that said like her mom then like looked up the band for the first time and was like, oh, "What shit. in the hell are you doing?" And like, Vindy was probably like twenty. Like, oh, like Bindi and Teddy were both younger than Sarah and I, uh-huh. and so then there was also this vibe of like her mom been thinking that like me and Sarah were some kind of like cult oh, or something shit. that had like inducted their <laughs> oh, baby, God. was forcing her to perform nude uh, <laughs> against her will or something, and. No. I mean, I was probably like 26, 23, yeah, I think I was probably 26, Sarah was like the same age, maybe 25 or 26, something, and then yeah, Bindi and Teddy were both like 20, 21 or something, not a huge age gap, but enough for her mom to put all of the blame, really on me, because also at the time it was the CJ Boyd sextet, as, as that group progressed and became more improvisational we kind of changed the name to actually have it be a little more egalitarian but initially it was like compositions of mine arranged for me and other cellists me me playing bass and other people playing cello anyway the whole thing blew up and it went from us just like oh cool we'll just not play nude at that show to then Bindi's mom and maybe her father too I can't remember if it's both of her parents or what 
insisting that she leave the tour uh-huh. and like basically her uncle was going to put her on a flight back to Nashville Whoa. and no yeah so she had to bail from Whoa. the tour no that's terrible I mean she'd have to but she I think she was still in college and her parents were paying for her college so they kind of had her in a bit of a bind and actually now that I think about it I don't think she immediately left, but like there was some compromise where it's like, oh, I'm gonna play this show and then like I'll fly from Oakland. I feel like it was Oakland or San Francisco, but it was still cutting it short. Damn. Somewhat. It was yeah. Like we still had definitely had more shows and then. Teddy Unfair parents. Up, yeah, and then I think Teddy left the, the, the tour a little bit early as well, because that just kind of threw off the thing, and then I ended up doing solo shows for like the last couple weeks or something like that. Oh, okay. damn. I haven't thought about that in forever, but wow. But yeah, we still played like another show or two, but interrupted the whole tour. Damn. Yeah. <sighs> so, I don't know. Bindi's mom was not as cool as your grandma. <laughs> yeah. And there's something to be said for it. I mean, I know that you're saying you're not super tight with most of your family and stuff, but yeah. I think there's something really that I really respect. Is like, if you're going to do your thing and just fucking do your thing, yeah. the people that can get with it, get with it. And if they can't, then fuck them. Yeah. I, I say that with a fair amount of privilege, like as a guy and as somebody yeah. who's been encouraged mostly to do whatever I want. Even when I was doing that, my mom... Mm-hmm knew about it I don't think she was stoked necessarily but she also kind of was like well boy's gonna do what he's gonna do (laughs) I think my mom my mom is tremendous because I feel like even when I am doing things that she really doesn't like she's got a certain level of just respect of like well he's not an idiot like he'll He'll figure it out. <laughs> you know? That's good. You know, and I, I'm so grateful for that because not everybody has that, obviously. Right. But still, I think when people can just say, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not asking your permission. This oh, is what yeah. I do. I do think there's something so powerful for that. And again, we were talking earlier about, like, you know, that 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 privilege also means some advantage. So, like, I have even more respect for, like, when women are able to do that. And, and like be an inspiration to other women and honestly what's funny is like that's a large part of what that uh, group ended up being like uh-huh. I didn't know this going into it but I discovered in doing that there was something about the fearlessness that especially yeah. the women in the group and the whip the group was usually pretty even like men and women but okay. like the women in the group especially to like just be totally vulnerable and get like totally nude and play this very like evocative and like emotional music I witnessed it so many times where like sometimes people came up and said stuff to me but a lot of times women would go up to the other women in the group and be like that was amazing you're a fucking rock star like you're a goddess you know and it was like this very effusive kind of like thank you for doing this thing that must be hard but you're doing it and that's Mm -hmm. awesome and I think no matter what you're doing if you're as far as music and any kind of performance I guess doing something that people understand is not 
easy. Yeah. Even if they don't want to do that same thing, I love, I still love that because you still, it's saying you can do things that are hard. Like we can do things that are not. Yeah. Always easy. Uh, whatever that thing is for you. Totally. You know, it's like a little bit of inspiration. No, I think like, you know, and I think sometimes it's just that like the things that are hard for other people aren't always hard for you. And right. so you don't really realize it. It's just like an inquiry or curiosity and yeah. like it's so important to explore those things because you don't know the impact, you know? Totally. Yeah, and honestly, that's how I feel about playing solo. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played solo for a very, very long time and I don't really think about it that much in terms uh-huh. of it being any kind of difficulty. Um, but I get comments sometimes from people they're like I just think that's so brave mm-hmm. and I'm like it's not really though I mean <laughs> like I'm just a control freak <laughs> yeah for me it's just like I don't know I've played in yeah. bands and that's cool but there's other things I like to do that really only work for me to play solo and that's mm-hmm. most of what I do and I think if that can still be inspirational to them awesome if they can look at it and be like whoa if he can do it I can do it this you person know? feels then comfortable that's alone yeah yeah I think it's still good as like a, a model of, of some confidence but but honestly I have to every time someone says that I'm like it's not really there's lots of things that are hard for me that I also try to make myself do but yeah. playing alone isn't really one of them that, yeah. that one's pretty natural feels, feels good. yeah I feel like playing alone is more comfortable a lot of the time yeah but it is like I think like we run in a circle of people who all play solo yeah I feel like in the noise experimental scene it's really common it's not strange at all totally and I mean there's something I get from playing with people when we really oh yeah when we really you know connect there's magic there for sure yeah and I would never give that up fully you know and not just only play solo but see this guy's swagger he's into it let the good times roll let the good times roll <laughs> he's rolling yeah This episode of Worst Show Ever was made possible by the Patreon pledges of Dorana Fryman, Meg Roberts, Christina Poez, and Evan Quayberg. If you'd like to support this endeavor, please go to patreon.com slash worst show ever.